Hey, Trash Panda friends, we are at it again. It is a Trashy Divorces virtual live show coming for you Thursday, February 16th. Let's call it a Valentine's Day decompression session with us, with you, all from TDHQ. Again, happening Thursday, February 16th. It's going to be taking place at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stories, scandals, and so much more. Right now, just through Wednesday, you can get early bird tickets. Eight dollars. Grab them. What a deal. Prices will go up midweek. Mm -hmm. Stacy, how does everybody get a trashy cheap ticket for the Trashy Divorces Valentine's Day Decompression Session live show? Uh, go to moment.co slash trashy divorces or check your show notes. There will be a link to take you right there. Can't wait to see you there. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Thanks for joining us today. Alicia here and oh my. In today's tale of marital misadventure, you know, like we do here on our good podcast about bad relationships, we are amping it up. To the Kennedy family level scale. I mean, that's like the nuclear winter of trashy divorces, trashiness. Over on Done and Done, my little side piece podcast this week, I had the conclusion of Kit Kennedy's story. Kit Kennedy being the aunt of my trashy divorces subject today, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Eek. Part one, y'all, today is just the backstory. <laughs> There's so much here to be kind to your trashy hearts. Kind was splitting it into two parts. And before we get into it today, I do want to pull out our magic mirror here. First name, I got a shout out in our magic mirror, Stacy is Melissa O. She's in that magic mirror. She knocked it out of the park with this story. Thank you, Melissa, for your research magic. And huge thanks to Michaela P., our newest Patreon friend, joining the whole community over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Enjoying early and ad-free episodes, bonus spider eggs on each main feed episode, dumpster dives, spider webs, nightcap chats, Zoom sessions, just everything. Just all the love to y'all, all of our Patreon community, and to you for coming to listen today. Welcome to part one of Bobby Kennedy Jr. It all keeps adding up. I think I'm cracking up. Am I just paranoid or is it time to go, go, go? Okay, Alicia, I'm so happy because you've finally gotten us to a good Kennedy, right? Nope. Nobody. Oh. Nope, nope, nope. The huh. good Kennedy I covered on Dunna Dunn. Kit Kennedy, Rosemary Kennedy. Yeah, okay, this is sure. not a not maybe okay. a good Kennedy. Because sometimes mm. just the name Kennedy sure. evokes many feelings and images for Americans and, you know, worldwide. That may be even stronger when you hear the name Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Indeed, yeah. Because we automatically think of his father and Robert Kennedy's senseless murder in 1968. Absolutely. But Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has had a far different life path than that of his pops. Like, I'm a bit familiar with him. He's sort of a prominent anti-vaxxer, for instance. Robert Jr., Bobby Jr., sure. is the third child of Robert and Ethel Kennedy. Uh, they have 11 children. Bobby's number three. Okay. And uh, Bobby Jr. was 14 years old in 1968 when his father was murdered. Mm -hmm. Bobby's life after that tragic event has really been a roller coaster of bad behavior, 
sadness, drugs, alcohol, womanizing, troubled relationships, political and social ambitions and influence, as well as, I would say fair share, but I'm going to say more than fair share heaping amount of controversy. Hmm. There have been many other tragedies along the way for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., including the deaths of many other family members, not least of which was the death by suicide of his second wife, Mary Richardson Kennedy. Today, Bobby Jr. is 69 years old, the father of six kids and on his third marriage. All right. Over the years, though, Bobby Jr. has cleaned up his playboy, hard-partying image a bit, but he has not shied away from involvement in, you know, some other scandals like especially when it comes to supporting his family members accused of disturbing crimes. Oh, good. That's fun. Deeply involved, though, in environmental issues, Kennedy finds a way to stay in the media through his activism. Mm -hmm. Recently, he has also expressed some divisive opinions on vaccines and Mm -hmm. caused quite a bit of stir with his conspiracy theories surrounding COVID-19. Fantastic. Causing even his wife to make a public statement condemning his comments. Hmm. That's a good dinner time stuff. We're about to get into Bobby Jr.'s teen years. It's going to get trashy. Let's get into it. A great deal of information and stories have come out about how the children of Robert and Ethel Kennedy grew up, especially after Robert F. Kennedy Sr.'s death The tales of life at Hickory Hill range from chaotic to disturbing. Hickory Hill is where the Bobby Kennedy family grows up. It's a home in McLean, Virginia. It has a storied history. The home dates to just after the Civil War, although the home has had a few updates over time. A little bit of a real estate spiderweb for you. Hickory Hill was first owned by a dentist and his wife and family and then sold to United States Supreme Court Associate Justice Robert H. Jackson and his wife, who, after his death, sold the home to an up-and-coming U.S. senator named John F. Kennedy and his new wife, Jacqueline. Okay. This is in 1955. Not too long afterward, Hickory House is sold to Jack's brother Bobby and his wife Ethel, remaining in the Bobby Kennedy family until 2009. There's a lot of years spent with the Kennedys at Hickory Hill. Now, depending on which of her children are telling the story, Ethel Kennedy's mothering, or lack thereof, (laughs) left a little bit to be desired. Interesting. The combination of that, along with naturally losing their father in such a tragic and violent way, add on to that the vast Kennedy wealth and fame, and put all those together... Boil, boil, toil Mm -hmm. and trouble. Yeah. Bringing those together kind of makes for an upbringing that results in a great deal of trouble and even destruction for many a young Kennedy. Bobby Jr. is no exception to this. And in fact, by many accounts, Bobby Jr. and his mother, Ethel, had one of the most contentious parent-child relationships of any of his siblings. At the very least. The evidence points to Ethel being neglectful and inattentive to young Bobby, but many accounts actually point to cruel and abusive behavior. Wherever the truth lies between those scales, it is clear that Bobby grew up with a very strained relationship with his mother while trying to come to terms with the death of his father 
all while bearing his father's name. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. After Robert Kennedy was killed, family friend Lem Billings plays a pivotal role as a father figure for some of the Kennedy boys, especially Bobby Jr. Lem Billings had been a really close friend of JFK back from prep school. Lem Billings has always been around. Okay. He's become a longtime trusted friend and ally of the entire Kennedy clan, which is great. On the opposite side of that, Lem Billings was also a closeted gay man, unable to be openly gay during that time and still have the social status and respect that he wanted. Lem Billings was also into drugs and partying, which he did freely with young Bobby Jr. and Bobby Jr.'s siblings, as well as many other of the Kennedy cousins. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a family that knows how to party. Well, because of her deep grief over her husband's death and strained relationship with Bobby Jr., Ethel Kennedy puts Lem Billings in charge of Bobby's education and rearing during his teenage years. It's one of those, I can't handle him, take him, Lem, he's yours. In retrospect, it perhaps was not the wisest decision for Ethel to make. Now, Lem Billings, no doubt, cares deeply about Bobby. But Lem Billings is perhaps not equipped to be a parent. Enjoying the partying aspect a little more than the parenting aspect. And despite all of his good intentions, he may have encouraged many of the destructive behaviors in Bobby Jr. Sure. In Jerry Oppenheimer's biography of young Bobby, titled RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the Dark Side of the Dream, the author, this is Oppenheimer, goes into great detail about the lack of Ethel's influence or presence in Bobby's life. Lem was always the one around to help him. And when Bobby's around his mother, things really turn disastrous. According to many accounts, Ethel ran her household and family in a way that would make a lot of us cringe. There's a friend, a classmate of Bobby Jr.'s from Millbrook. Millbrook is a private boarding preparatory school. It's about 90 miles north of New York City. This friend of Bobby's at Millbrook visits Hickory Hill with Bobby sometimes and had this to say, quote, Ethel Kennedy was not the image America had of her. There were constant mother and son battles during which Ethel would beat her eldest son with a hairbrush, unquote. Yikes. Oh, it gets worse. That, along with the treatment of her household staff, children running wild, animal excrement on the floor, and Ethel's tantrums caused the classmate to refer to the Virginia estate as not Hickory Hill, but instead Horror Hill. Wow. Mm -hmm. Millbrook was where many of Bobby Jr.'s questionable and destructive behaviors really do become a problem. Staff and faculty recall seeing Lim Billings on campus often to check on Bobby, see how he was doing. On the opposite side of that, after her initial visit to enroll her son, no one ever remembered seeing Ethel Kennedy ever at Millbrook again, not even at Parents Week. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was a strained relationship and neither one was really equipped to unstrain it? It doesn't sound great. So at Millbrook, once the news of Bobby's presence on the campus spreads around, Bobby Jr. is practically mobbed by adoring teenage girls mm-hmm. trying to talk to him, 
Bobby Jr. gets boxes of mail each week from people he does not know. Wow. The mail goes unread. However, Bobby definitely takes advantage of the girls who snuck onto campus to see him. Bobby's also doing a lot of drugs at this time. And you gotta really keep in mind, right? He's a teenager, high school. It's 68, 69. There are major cultural shifts happening during that time in all of America. Well, and he's lost his father and his uncle. And like, I mean, it's changing, mm -hmm. changing strata. And a wealthy boarding school is not going to be any exception to no. changing times. So in addition to the students having constant access to drugs through their connections and money, Bobby Kennedy has the added ability <laughs> to get away with breaking all the rules because much of the faculty revered his family name right. so much that they're in a little bit of awe at his presence. He gets away with a lot. So he's basically treated like a rock star. Sure. But a lot of people at Millbrook recall that Bobby Jr. kind of seemed to be neglected and lost. A classmate tells Oppenheimer, he was a rumpled skinny kid who always gave me the impression that his teeth needed brushing. Wow. His hair was a mess. His clothes were generally in need of a bath and so was he. I can picture him with his black tie undone at the throat and half of his shirt tail in and half out. That was how he looked 90% of his waking hours. This was a pretty lonely kid with a family who, I guessed at the time, were just kind of shoving him aside. I saw Bobby as lost. Another classmate described Bobby this way. Bob always seemed dirty, like personal cleanliness dirty. He was sort of always grungy, a terrible mess, and he was almost proud of it. Huh. All I can see is pig pen in my... Yeah, certainly not the image we have of, you know, the Kennedy no, men. not at all. Not at all. Charismatic, suave, whatever. You're going to love this bit. You and I say this a bunch around here. Mama always said, rich, <sighs> rich folks are different. Against all school rules, if you're rich and you're privileged, maybe you like falconry. Bobby <laughs> has a sparrow hawk in his dorm room. Wow. Yeah. By choice of the sparrow hawk? Yes, yeah, his pet. You got a little sparrow hawk in your dorm Is room. Hogwarts? What? <laughs> that same classmate said, The room was filthy and Bob let the bird, which perched on the bust, shit all over the place. Oh my God. Including all down that bust of his dead father. Oh my God. I thought anything goes with this guy. Bobby was Machiavellian. He was kind of sinister. You didn't want to get too close to him. Wow. So it is not long before the school administration of Millbrook decided that... Uh, take, to take a look at this kid's life and... Uh, we can't look away any longer yeah. at the Sparrow Hawk or your behavior, your lack of academic interest. The wavy lines trailing behind you when you walk. Yeah, Consistent and ongoing drug use. Millbrook oh, wow. has, like, it's just... Like, even Millbrook was worried? Okay. Even Millbrook had to be like, nah, dude, we can't do this. And Bobby Jr. was expelled from Millbrook during his second year. Wow. This was kept fairly secretive at the time, and Kennedy has since described himself as having graduated from Millbrook. But in reality, Millbrook was the first, but not the last, but just the first of many expensive private preparatory schools that... Bobby Kennedy Jr. would be kicked out of. Hmm. 
Now's a great time for us to kick out to a break, hear a word from our sponsors. Be right back to find out what happens next at the age of 16. Oh my God. Yeah. We'll see on the flip. All right. So we have young Bobby Jr. kicked out of Millbrook. 16. Wandering the earth, (laughs) disheveled and stinky. He's going to wander for a, a, a bit here. Okay. So by the time that Bobby was done at Millbrook and at the tender age of 16, his drug use has escalated to much more than just pot. Bobby's drug use now also includes psychedelics, cocaine, methamphetamines, and even heroin. Yikes. Yeah. So shortly after getting kicked out of Millbrook, Bobby Jr. and his cousin, Bobby Shriver, were arrested for drug possession. The arrest ultimately doesn't amount to too much other than some poor publicity for the family, but this arrest will further damage his already truly awful, terrible relationship with Ethel. It's reported that Ethel tells Bobby at this point, I'm throwing you out of the family. Which is different, right? Ethel's a skakel. She's not a Kennedy. Kennedy, mm. the rule is, we no Kennedy left behind. Yeah. We always stick together. Yeah. And that's the presentation we put to the outside world. Kennedys always stick together. No Kennedy left behind. So Ethel... It was like, yeah, no, I'm throwing you out of the family. Hmm. Mm. Bobby and two of his friends spend the next few weeks sneaking rides on freight trains. Wow. Uh-huh. That's like a full, like, late 60s experience, isn't it? <sighs> Arrested for drugs, riding the trains, riding the rails. 16. Hopping freights. Wild. Heading to the West Coast, probably. I don't know. Once Bobby Jr. runs out of the 600 bucks that he took out of his account, because he's riding the rails, but with cash in his pocket, right? Yeah. Which probably helps. He had taken the 600 bucks out of his account before he got kicked out of school. So once that $600 runs out, he's no longer in school. Ethel, I'm throwing you out of the family. Mm-hmm. Bobby Jr. begins to panhandle for money. Perfect. He and two of his friends end up in... Didn't see this come in Berkeley, California. Boom. Where Kennedy buys drugs with the money that he panhandles. Right. And eventually, Lim Billings will find Bobby Jr. and bring him back home. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Bobby Jr.'s next school was Pomfret, the Pomfret School. And the administrators of Pomfret were not exactly told why Bobby Jr. had left Millbrook, a.k.a expelled. And later, the Pomfret administration said if they had known the depth of Bobby's drug use, they never would have admitted him. No big surprise here that Bobby Jr. was eventually expelled from Pomfret too, when the headmaster began to fear that a Kennedy overdose would mean the end of their stellar reputation. Yeah, wow. How long do you think Bobby lasted at Pomfret? Uh, a semester? Less than a year. Yeah, okay. right, right on target. His next stop was the Palfrey Street School in Watertown, Massachusetts. Palfrey Street was a progressive and experimental new school. And Lem Billings feels like maybe it's Bobby's last chance to graduate from high school. Like, let's, yeah, they're going to, it's, you know, you can make your own curriculum. Just get a degree, kid. Yeah. While at Palfrey Street, Bobby continues on doing many drugs, and also steps up his game and begins dealing them. Wow. I had no idea. Okay. There were certainly some broken-hearted girls who, at the time, believed Bobby really loved them. 
along the way of his high school journey. Despite having many problems and having to repeat his sophomore year, Bobby does finally get his high school diploma in 1972. What was next? College? (laughs) Harvard, of course. Oh my God, yeah, okay. Oppenheimer writes, If anyone was preordained to get into America's most prestigious Ivy League academy, it was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Despite his addictive drug use, his erratic and often bizarre behavior, his run-ins with law enforcement, and what were said to be mediocre grades and little, if any, extraordinary extracurricular activities. Oh, it sounds like he had some extraordinary extracurricular activities. So now we're going to interject another Kennedy cousin here. This is Christopher Lawford, son of Bobby's aunt, Patricia Kennedy Lawford, who Mm -hmm. was married to Peter Lawford. We've talked about them a bunch on Done and Done. Christopher Lawford, cousin, just on the opposite side here, has better grades, a cleaner record, and stellar recommendation letters does not get accepted into Harvard. Why do you think that is? Last name's Lawford. You're exactly right. Not Kennedy. His yep. last name is Lawford. Yep. Christopher Lawford instead attends Tufts University. And the competition between these two cousins had been and will remain intense despite their close relationship. Spider Eggs is going to have a little cousinly competition so both being in the city of boston was just it was a little too close for comfort even if they were at different colleges it's just trashy so chris and bobby jr both enjoy the company of christopher's father peter lawford who by this time had divorced patricia he goes through a number of wives he really is broken by the death of marilyn monroe he was the last one to talk to her right but peter lawford Whoa, wild times too. Christopher Lawford and Bobby Jr. love to visit Peter. Chris Lawford says of visiting his father in Hollywood, his apartment was a treasure chest of illicit substances. So one of the many times that Ethel kicks Bobby out of Hickory Hill, he'll go to his former Uncle Peter's apartment in Hollywood. And Peter gladly welcomes him and shares his drugs with his nephew and even will take him to... Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion. All kinds of wrong lessons here. All right. Oh, no, it's trashier. So Lawford's newest wife at the time, recalled many years later after Peter Lawford's death, that once Peter was showering in the next room and Bobby Jr. leans in close to her and says, I wish you weren't married to my uncle. I'd fuck you right here on the couch. So that's nice. What are wrong lessons here? It turns out that Bobby Jr. was far from the only Kennedy, though, to hit on Lawford's newest wife. It's just just trash. I'm just waiting for the name Ted to come up. (laughs) Bobby Kennedy Jr. will start Harvard in the fall of 1972, and he was very popular with the ladies there. And it wasn't just his Kennedy name by this time. Bobby had grown out of his gawky face, maybe learned how to take a shower, He'd become a, very charismatic and sexy, according to many who knew him then. One of his friends said, quote, Bobby wasn't getting laid a lot because his name was Kennedy. If his name was Joe Blow, he would have gotten laid a lot. There was a steady traffic of girls through Bobby's room. During his later time at Harvard, Bobby does have a very serious girlfriend named Valerie Duff Pacifico. And Pacifico is beautiful and grounded and deeply, deeply in love with Bobby Kennedy. 
She's from a middle-class Staten Island family. And when he felt the two were getting serious, Lem Billings steps in and starts discouraging this relationship. Years later, Pacifico reveals that, quote, Lem used to tell Bobby that the main quality he had to look for in a wife was money and that I was not rich. Hmm. He said it in front of me. Wow. And when he saw that it hurt my feelings, he got very apologetic and said, I didn't mean to make you feel bad. I just meant that Bobby's got to think about his future. The Kennedy fortune isn't what it used to be, you know. He'll have to marry somebody with a lot of money if he's going to be president. Sadly, Valerie Duff Pacifico learned that her relationship with Bobby was over by... Da-da-da! Reading email! Reading about it in a newspaper. Yeah. His newest love interest was an aspiring British model. Her name is Rebecca Frazier. The Frazier and Kennedy families had known each other since Joseph P. Kennedy had been ambassador for Great Britain and the family lived in London. Rebecca Frazier's mother, I love it, I love it, I love it. This is spider webs that are just too good. Rebecca Frazier's mother, Lady Antonia Frazier, had been dubbed the Golden Lioness of London's literary scene. You can turn back and see numerous Antonia Frazier books on my shelves because she writes about all things Tudors, Plantagenets, all the history. Antonia Frazier, big deal. I'm going to have to pull out my genealogy book because my people are Frasers. Oh, I wonder if you're related to the Golden Lioness of London's literary scene. Let's hope. Lady Antonia Frazier had made headlines herself with her highly publicized affair in 1975, but alas, it is her daughter, Rebecca, that has now hooked it up with Bobby. Rebecca Frazier is invited to New York to stay with no less than Bobby's aunt, Jacqueline Kennedy, Hmm. who begins mentoring Rebecca Frazier. To be a Kennedy? Is that... Jackie arranges for Rebecca Frazier to meet the famous photographer Francesco Scavolo and legendary modeling agent Eileen Ford. Hmm. Both love her look. Eileen Ford tells People magazine that Frazier was, quote, a modern-day Mary Pickford, a delicate cameo-like creature, unquote. People magazine, no less, will feature Rebecca Frazier in a major story called Move Over, Margot. It's Rebecca Frazier parlaying a literary name into modeling fame. Huh. Of course, that Margot in question was Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter, Margot Hemingway. Little bit of a segue here. Want to give a hats off and a trashy salute to one Ms. Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. Who has recently reported that she used to get into Studio 54 using the name of Muffin Hemingway the long-lost Hemingway cousin. If Jennifer Coolidge is selling that act, I'd probably buy it and let her in too. Kind of a goddess. 100%, yeah. Back to the story. (laughs) By the summer of 1979, rumors of marriage are everywhere. Both deny the rumors and refuse to comment on their relationship, but the relationship finally ends and Rebecca Fraser moves back to London in the fall of 1981. A Kennedy insider said the breakup was because Rebecca Frazier had not shown the, quote, proper reticence when the paparazzi started flashing light bulbs. Rebecca actually enjoyed being snapped, unquote. That's one side. 
The other thread, perhaps the breakup may have been because of Bobby Jr.'s heavy drug use and rampant cheating. There's another side. Yeah. Who knows? The truth, probably. Somewhere in between the two of those. I mean, as a model, I would think that maybe she would not mind so much being snapped, but... Yeah, I don't think that's actually as bad as you think it is, Kennedy Insider. Yeah. I'll let y'all weigh those out on the scale of... You be the judge. What could have gone wrong? That's right. (laughs) Either way, Rebecca and Bobby, done. Bobby is now in law school at the University of Virginia. And it's all right, all right, all right, because he's got his eye on another girl. We're going to pause for one more break here. Come back to conclude Bobby's pre-marriage years. The origin story, as it were. All right, Alicia, so this completely out-of-control person manages to uh, get through Harvard and is now in law school. Yep, yep. And, okay. The world just doesn't work the way we all want it to, does it? Not if your last name's Kennedy. Yeah. All right. Here at the University of Virginia, Bobby's going to meet a nice Midwestern girl. Her name is Emily Black. I want you to remember sweet Emily. She's going to be mentioned here. She's going to be mentioned in the next story, too. They're both studying law at the University of Virginia, and Bobby spies Emily in a local bar and pizza shop. Bobby's interested and decides to approach her, and the two start talking and hit it off. Sweet Emily, she's a fairly stereotypical Midwestern girl. She's from Bloomington, Indiana. Prior to law school, Emily had gotten her undergraduate degree from Indiana University in 1978. Emily is studious and quiet and modest and completely taken, gobsmacked, gooey-eyed, and overwhelmed with Bobby's charm and the Kennedy allure. Emily has grown up very differently than Bobby. Old Em's mom was a teacher and her father managed a lumberyard. But Emily didn't grow up with her dad. Her dad died when she was two. Like, so you probably see, like, a loss of a parent. You can see, perhaps, right, right. something that brings them together. But Commonality, they yeah. But do have vastly different backgrounds and personalities. It and sounds like she's not rich. No. Have, have his people moved past that? Well, yeah, no one expects this relationship to result in marriage. Okay. And it's safe to say that Emily had no idea what she was getting herself into by actually marrying into the Kennedy family. However, Emily was aware of... Bobby Jr.'s drug use, but apparently felt it was something she could deal with. And during his attempts to stop doing drugs and go cold turkey, Emily does support his efforts. Because it's, again, not just pot that Bobby's doing. A close friend of his at the time tells Oppenheimer that he would occasionally go to Harlem with Bobby to get heroin. In the midst of his drug issues and relationship and love affair with Emily... Bobby decides, or was told, to take a break from law school. Just stop your life in Virginia for a little while, because we need you to help, da-da-da, your Uncle Teddy's 1980 campaign for the presidency. That is what Kennedys do, I guess. I would like to just stress here that if anyone ever took advantage of the idea of being on a break, it was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yikes. So, we're going to move to the section in our story called On Uncle Teddy's Campaign Trail. Peter Collier and David Horowitz, two young journalists, 
had convinced Bobby Jr. to let them follow him in order to write a book about Uncle Teddy's campaign. And Bobby's motivation to allow them to do this was because he believed it would help Bobby's future political career. Okay. Call your rights. Bobby had a bit of an agenda with us. He wanted to be seen as the real sort of heir to Camelot. The RFK kids were very, very anxious about the fact that John John, whom they saw as sort of a foreigner, was seen as the heir to Camelot. And they felt that it was their father who really had made Camelot in some sense and that he was really the author of the Kennedy myth and that it was a savage miscarriage of justice that the children of Jackie, which is how they saw John and Caroline, should inherit this mantle, that it was theirs. Children of Jackie, not my uncle John. Yeah. David Horowitz, the other journalist here, said he was shocked. Shocked, I say, by what he saw during this time with Bobby. Quote, Bobby had a girl in every place. There were women that were like moths to the flame. I just know that he was fucking everything in sight, <laughs> even though he was involved with Emily Black. Oh, God. Who was just very quiet and seemed like a nice person. This is all very Kennedy-esque. It wasn't just women that Bobby indulged himself with on the campaign trail. He also drank heavily and naturally did a lot of drugs, but that wasn't even all. Horowitz and Collier witnessed Bobby engaging in some very dangerous and illegal other behaviors. Quote, the kind of things Bobby did were perfectly illegal and crazy, and he did them because he was used to people keeping silent, because nobody wants to be banished from the Kennedy magic circle and lose access, unquote. David Horowitz one of these journalists, he's traveling. He's observing Bobby. And he'll say that each day after campaigning, they were all exhausted. And at one point, Bobby even had the flu. But the flu, pish posh. The flu isn't going to stop Bobby from having sex with whatever girl was waiting for him. Quote, I was younger then and I'm a healthy male, but I wouldn't have wanted just to go to bed with a strange woman. What is another fuck going to do for you? It was just insanity, compulsive, nutty with him. Maybe in his mind he was building his heroic myth. He certainly couldn't have been getting a lot of pleasure when he was running an over 100 degree fever and really looked ill and was hoarse. He had one girl who was a campaign worker, so he always had that one. At one campaign event, he just went off to screw her, unquote. I will say, I think campaigns are a little famous for that because you tend to have pretty young volunteer staff and everybody's very passionate about the cause and it I, you can see how you can see how that could happen is what i'm saying you know coming at me with a fever snot out your nose we're probably not gonna I do mean, too much rolling in the hay <laughs> here's some eucinex have some theraflu take care of yourself here's some nyquil <laughs> All right, here's the deal about Horowitz and Collier. In order to be journalists for this particular campaign trail, let's focus on Bobby. They had to make a deal with Bobby that they would not discuss or write about his drug use unless it becomes public in another way. They won't make it public, but if it becomes public, sure, fair it's game. fair game. 
it will become public in part two of the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. story coming for you on Wednesday, where we will bring Bobby Jr. into his marriages and divorces. And oh, it is so much trashy. So yeah, I can't even rank the trash cans yet. Those okay. were just the teen That's years. just, yeah, origin story to get us to additional trashy bits, uh, uh, I'm guessing. That's it. Part two coming for you on Wednesday. I'm not going to leave you hanging. It was just, there was just so much there that I thought it was kinder just to break it into two. Don't forget, friends, you can always get everything early and ad-free, along with the spider eggs bonus things we do at the end of episodes for what? Two bucks a month? over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces if you want to show a little love to the podcast on spider eggs today i'm really excited i got a little taylor swift and starlight and how would you say the competitive relationship between bobby jr and chris lawford it's pretty dirty thanks for joining us today uh don't forget we have our live show coming up on february 16th our valentine's day decompression session absolutely uh go to moment.co slash trashy divorces to get your early bird tickets right now eight bucks super cheap Mm -hmm. can't wait we're gonna have so much fun we got a lot of fun surprises in the works yep y'all we can't tell you how much we appreciate you spending your time with us until We meet again for part two of Bobby Jr. Wash those hands, people. Keep those hearts trashy, though. Not like campaign trail trashy, though. No, no, no. That's that's for. Unless your last name's Kennedy, then maybe maybe just trash it up. Just trash it up. (laughs) Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production, created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia, by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.